you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. What's the state of the American family and how do LGBTQ families compare to our straight peers? Are LGBTQ people ready for retirement and how do you stack up against your queer peers? We talk about both topics today on Queer Money with two special guests from Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company based out of Springfield, Massachusetts. Lisa Campbell and Steve Brokowski are both marketing consultants within market and business development for MassMutual. Lisa joins us to talk about MassMutual's recent LGBTQ State of the American Family Study, and Steve joins us to talk about MassMutual's LGBTQ Retirement Savings and Risk Study. Both studies show some intriguing information about our community. This episode of Queer Money is being brought to you by the Debt Free Guys 7-Day Debt Freedom Challenge. You can accept that challenge by going to DebtFreeGuys.com. Finally, look out for the credit card payoff course coming mid-January 2019 to help make next year the year you pay off those credit cards. Here we go. Let's get started. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Great. Welcome, Lisa and Stephen, to the show. We appreciate having you. Thanks. Good to be here. Great to be here. Absolutely. So we're going to start off with talking about the uh, State of the American Family Survey. Lisa, can you provide some insight as to why the survey was conducted and who made up the participants? Sure. So MassMutual has been focused on helping families secure their financial future since its founding back in 1851. So in an effort to, to really understand the American family's attitudes on finances and financial planning, we conduct the State of the American Family Study every three years or so. We talk to a nationally representative sample of all American families across all different ethnicities, social and economic groups, and family structures, including LGBTQ. The respondents do meet specific criteria, and those criteria are an age bracket, 25, age 25 to 64 years old, a household income of 50,000 K or above. They need to have at least one dependent under age 26, and they need to contribute at least 40% to the decisions regarding the financial matter in their household. Right. So clearly sounds like you have a a well-defined group, but at least within that group, we do see cross-sections or intersectionality of lots of different of opinions or individuals, the lifestyles they may be living. So it does give a well-rounded sample of people. It does. Yes. And we make sure, we made sure this time specifically the study that we hit every ethnicity, um, every different family structure and type to really, you know, beef up our research, if you will. Definitely. And I think we have to, of course, give give props to Mass Mutual for including same-sex couples that are raising a family or have children, because although that is a very a relatively small section of uh, our community, it's important to hear their voices. So thank you very much for doing that. Yep, absolutely. You're welcome. Sure. So the study revealed that the LGBTQ families feel that the American dreams might be disappearing. How was the American dream defined in the study? So we actually asked the respondents themselves to define the dream for us, the American dream. Uh, And what came back clearly at the heart of it was financial security for me and my family. It was kind of the the number one definition across all market segments. A couple of other things that rose to the top among the LGBTQ audience was owning my own home, which actually was across all the different segments as well, and then also not living paycheck to paycheck. 
But really the focus was on financial security for me and my family, being financially secure. That makes a lot of sense. And that's why we do this podcast. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So nearly 40% of the LGBTQ families felt like there was no longer this possibility of the American dream happening for them. How does this compare to non-LGBTQ families? Actually, it was not as optimistic as the non-LGBTQ families. As you mentioned, 40% of the LGBTQ audience believed that it's disappearing, whereas only about a third of the non-LGBTQ families. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Why do you think that's the case? It has to do with the confidence levels in achieving the definition of the American dream. The study reveals that the LGBTQ have less confidence in being able to achieve financial security for themselves or their family to the tune of only about 36% versus non-LGBTQ, which is about almost 50%. Wow. Right. And the study also reveals that the LGBTQ families have lower confidence across a number of other financial priorities. Yeah, that is interesting. As well. I think John and I have mentioned a number of times on this show, you've heard us say this, this idea that many of us in the LGBTQ community feel like we have maybe some legacy feelings from childhood or society that kind of oftentimes affect our level of confidence, not just when it comes to money, but I think a lot of other things in life. But if we're not confident uh, in ourselves, then sometimes that may mean we earn less money, which I guess that can kind of add to this factor of not feeling confident to achieve a financially secure future. Yeah. Yeah. I would think it would probably play personally it affects me. I'm sorry. I said, I know personally that affects me and that does impact me as a member of the LGBTQ community. Sure. Yeah. David and I often say that two of the reasons why we think that we acquired $51,000 worth of credit card debt was one, to try to make up for childhoods that weren't as ideal as we might have liked them to be. And then two, we were trying to, when we were older and more mature in theory, we were trying to do whatever we can desperately to fit in with our community. That meant sacrificing our financial security, so be it. And I think that we're, we're not necessarily alone. And I'm sure there's probably numerous other reasons why that might be the case. Right. Lisa, do you mind telling us what's, what some of the top priorities were for LGBTQ families? Sure. Uh, some of the top priorities included uh, being financially prepared for the unexpected, Another one was having an emergency fund. Third is paying down debt. Becoming a burden to my family was another. And then last but not least, feeling confident in both short and long-term financial planning decision-making. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I shared those priorities with a Facebook group. And it was interesting that many of the comments that came back said that they feel like that's what most American families are probably thinking about as well. But I, I would, I'm wondering, there may be some differences in to the degree in which we have insecurities around or are more concerned about paying down debt or having an emergency fund or feeling confident being able to make those financial decisions. Mm-hmm. There are some differences in LGBTQ versus non-LGBTQ. And I can point that out as we, some of them are kind of on par. But for example, being financially prepared for the unexpected, um, that's pretty much on par with the non-LGBTQ audience. Uh, There were things like unique to LGBTQ was they prioritized taking more vacations, for example. 60% say it's an important financial priority for them versus, (laughs) yeah, exactly, versus maybe, you know, about 50 for the non-LGBTQ. 
I think also because we are the debt-free guys, we kind of zeroed in, or I, and I noticed that the amount of debt uh, seems to be one of the things that, that is talked about. But before we jump to that, when we think about all of these different priorities that they have, what is a way that the LGBT community or these LGBT families can be better prepared for th- these unexpected events or being able to take care of their family financially? Sure. So, you know, as we all know, there's no way to control the unexpected. It just happens. But you can be proactive and take the steps to be prepared if something happens to you. For example, two things that one can do is, you know, life insurance. Life insurance helps you protect your family in the event the unthinkable happens. There are two different types of life insurance, permanent and term. And it would be a great idea to talk with a professional, a financial professional, to find out which one meets you know, your own unique financial needs. The other way, you know, prepare for the unexpected. And and many people don't consider this. It's, you know, what would happen if you got too sick or became disabled and you weren't able to work? I mean, you have all those bills, you have your mortgage, you have your car payments, you have food, you know, how are you going to pay all these bills? And it's a lot more common than one would think. For example, one in four 20-year-olds are disabled before the time, you know, they retire. Um, And so most people don't realize that their single most valuable asset is ability to earn an income. But there's a way to protect against that as well, and that's disability income insurance. Many people do have group long-term disability through their workplace, but what people don't realize is that only covers about 60% of your income, and it does not include bonuses or or commission. Disability income insurance is is an important part of your financial protection for your, your family. Gotcha. Absolutely. Do you, do you mind if we go back a second? Is there? Do you know if there what the difference would be in being financially prepared for the unexpected and having a financial an emergency fund? Is there they synonymous or are they? Is there a difference there that I'm not catching? I'm sorry. In having a what fund? An emergency savings fund. Oh, so we like to say you, you need to you know have both. <laughs> you need to be protected from a financial protection standpoint in terms oh. of like I mentioned with life insurance and disability income insurance. But then also emergency funds are key. And and what we like to talk about there is we suggest having a separate account and an automated savings plan deposits into that account automatically. Um, and those things are key. Rule of thumb we like to go by is allocate about three to six months of salary. You know, set that aside for those bumps in the road, you know, car repairs, medical expenses, whatever, whatever the emergency may be. I mean, this helps you, you know, prevent getting into more debt. Does that answer your question? Yeah. It does. Yeah. Thank you. So, so the, okay. the prepare for the unexpected would probably be solved more with a product like the disability income insurance, and then the, exactly. um, the emergency savings fund is more, you know, the cash that you would stash away for uh, three to six months worth of savings. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> hey, could could I jump in for just a second? Sure. Um, you know, when you're talking about difference between being prepared for the unexpected and having a financial cushion in terms of, you know, an emergency fund, that emergency fund is great because if you're suddenly in between jobs, then you have some time to go find another job without getting down into debt and spending day-to-day expenses on a credit card or having to sell off your investments or, you know, borrow from your 401k, you know, looking ahead to, to what we're going to talk about with the retirement study. But when you're talking about protection products, that really is thinking about 
death unexpected if something happens to my spouse or loved one and that income is suddenly gone, how am I going to pay my mortgage? And Or if one of us gets sick, what happens if we can't work anymore or we're permanently disabled and there are additional expenses that we weren't thinking about? So you want to make sure as you're planning for that retirement and your investments for the future that you're you're also protecting and minimizing the risk that those investments will be wiped out. Yeah. It, it almost seems to me that having an emergency fund is kind of the stopgap that protects you. So many people in this country l- literally live paycheck to paycheck because we don't have those three to six months or longer saved. And so if we were to lose our job or something were to happen, having that three to six months is that immediate cushion that you have, then hopefully something like a disability insurance would then be able to kick in and take care of you and cover the rest of your expenses until you can get back on your feet, whether that's physically or or with a job. Absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, paying down debt, of of course, is a big concern for uh, our community that uh, especially with the debt-free guys, we encourage individuals to pay down their credit card debt. I did think that it was interesting that uh, LGBT families have an average of just over $12,000 in credit card debt with with these credit card interest rates today averaging about 13%. That means most of these families could be incurring about $1,500 a year in interest. Why do you think it's so important to avoid this type of debt? Sure. So as we all know, it's you know, it's pretty difficult not to have any debt. You know, it's pretty difficult to, to go out and buy a house in cash, for example, pay, you know, student tuition payments. But all debt is not equal. And and that's what I want to draw your attention to. Sure, so there's there's something called bad debt versus good debt. It's how we, we talk about it. And credit card debt actually is considered bad debt. And what bad debt is, it's the kind of debt that diminishes your worth and adds really little or no value to you. And as I mentioned before, credit card debt is the prime example of that. Because usually the things that we buy with our credit cards have no lasting value. Right. For example, a $200 pair of shoes. I mean, that's not going to get you much. Um, <laughs> that's up for debate. can't afford it. <laughs> I know, exactly. So we like, yeah, it was like to say, if you can't afford it, don't buy it. Right. Whereas good debt, on the other hand, um, is debt that goes in value or generates long-term income for you. So a perfect example of that would be student loans. It increases your value as an employee when you get out into the workforce and hopefully raises your potential future income. Mortgage is another example of good debt with the hopes of your property will appreciate in value over time. Gotcha. I love those definitions, actually. In in theory, we know them, but I've never actually heard somebody spell it out like that. And that's great. Thank you. Yeah, I would also add that although it can be termed good debt, we have seen a lot of individuals who have uh, student loans or mortgage debt that has still uh, ends up being a, a way on them uh, financially because they've maybe taken on too much. So just because it's labeled good debt doesn't mean it can't be abused, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, do you really need that McMansion? Right. <laughs> <laughs> So how would you suggest our listeners prioritize paying off their debt? Is there a best practice of any kind that you'd recommend? Yeah, sure. So so we would recommend, you know, creating a list of all your debt and then ranking it 
ranking all your debt after assessing its like potential damage to your overall finances, for example, whether it's you know good debt or bad debt. And then as far as prioritizing, it's a good idea to pay off the debt with the highest interest rates first, the smallest balances or the highest minimum. And then really focus on the debt that can help build your credit. And then finally, if you, you know, we encourage people, if you can make those extra payments or pay even just a little bit more than the minimum, you know, every month, because this in the, in the long run, this will reduce the total cost of the loan and it will make a big difference in reducing your debt overall. I definitely will give a hear here for that. John and I, as many of you know, are champions of individuals paying off their debt because we encourage people to live a fabulous debt-free life rather than being fabulously broke. Along those lines, we just want to remind you all that we do have the seven-day debt freedom challenge on debtfreeguys.com that helps you start the process and look uh, logically at your debt and say, how can I pay this off? It gets you started with that. So if you uh, haven't checked that out, go over to debtfreeguys.com and check out the seven-day debt freedom challenge. Good plug there, Mr. Elf. I like it. <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about becoming a burden on our children. Many parents worry about that. I know my parents specifically worry about that. We've talked about it at the dinner table. So what steps would you suggest to families that want to take measures to reduce this particular risk? So I guess what I first would say would be plan ahead and start now uh, while you're young and healthy to kind of you know, help you ease that burden for your, your family and friends. Um, that's probably the most important piece of advice would, I would suggest. And then, you know, initiate that conversation with family and friends now. You know, important areas that you'd want to consider is, you know, who are your beneficiaries, make sure they're up to date, look at your wills, your trust, your taxes, and again, your retirement investment strategy. And then I would say organize all of your important information and final wishes in one place and communicate you know, what those are and where they are. Next thing is put together a family caregiving plan. Now, again, you know, early early on before it is too late and the need arises, it'll help you respond more quickly and effectively, you know, when the time does come. For the LGBT community, is a little, it's a little bit more tricky, that caregiving plan. And I say that because they're more likely to be single or have no children. So that's an extra challenge that they face. They are less likely to have that traditional caregiving support that many other older adults do have. And they tend to rely on families of choice because of that. And families of choice, meaning close friends, maybe a niece, nephew, an ex-partner. But the caution, you know, caution there is it'll be a little bit, maybe more difficult. Sometimes those relationships aren't legally recognized. So it might make it a little bit more difficult for the caregiver to access services for, you know, on a loved one's behalf. So just mm-hmm. be mindful of that. And additionally, if there are close friends that are, have been identified as caregivers, another thing to keep top of mind is their age. Most likely your close friends are around the same age you are. Right. Um, but keep in mind that they may have to deal with their own health issues soon as well. And they may not be the ideal candidate to step into that caregiver role. And then lastly, I would say, you know, just document everything, Uh, document it and again, share it with, you know, your loved ones so that they know kind of what you're thinking. And and this is a plan that you've all put together as a group. And then consult with a financial professional to discuss long-term care options so that you can remain financially independent of your adult children as you age. 
Yeah, one of the thing, interesting things uh, I appreciate about what you were just saying, Lisa, is I think when we originally talked about this idea of not wanting to be a burden on our families, that's one of the, the areas that LGBT families are heads of household are concerned about, I immediately went, okay, you need to have money, all your money in order. But here you're kind of going through that there's a lot of other things that if you don't do them can also be a burden on your family. If you don't have the right documentation, if you don't have the right beneficiaries set up, you don't have a will, a trust, and all of these plans in place, that can be just as much of a burden on your family as is the financial aspect of it. Exactly. You're absolutely right. That's why it's so important to keep all those things, you know, get your, get your affairs in order, you know, keep all your financial documents in one place and, and make sure someone other than you know where they are. Yeah, that's very important. There's a, no point in having all these documents drawn up if nobody can find them. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so what would you say are uh, key to increasing confidence in both short-term and long-term financial decision-making? So, well, the study reveals that the LGBTQ community tends to prioritize day-to-day expenses over savings. But we like to say, focus on the short term and plan for the long term. So for the short term, a couple of of pointers, develop a budget to account for all your income and expenses and stick to it. That's the important piece, stick to that budget. Also set a goal to reduce some of your household expenses. And then as we talked about before, create an emergency fund. So those are the, the three keys for the short term. And for planning for the long term, debt. Develop a plan to pay down your debt within 20 years excluding your mortgage, of course. And then save money so that you can pay for college with minimum student debt for your children. And then also in terms of retirement, build a retirement nest egg with a goal of about 15 times your annual income. So it sounds like you have kind of a clear outline plan there. Is that something that Mass Mutual assists with when uh, someone goes and works with a financial advisor is kind of formulating this idea of what short-term versus long-term would look like for them and their family? Absolutely. They can uh, provide holistic financial guidance, if you will, focusing on both the short and long-term plans for your financial future. Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting, your your comment here of focus on the short-term and plan for the long-term. I remember when I was a kid, my dad always used to say, live like you'll die tomorrow, plan like you'll live forever. And I, I don't think I, I really understood what he was saying until I eventually grew up and paid my debt off. I realized how I wasn't planning for the long term, and I was just primarily focusing on living for today. So it's nice that your financial advisors are, will be encouraging people to do that. I know as you listen to this podcast, many of you are here because you want support financially, educating yourselves. So we encourage, would encourage you to work with a financial planner, uh, advisor like someone at Mass Mutual, because we know that many of you don't necessarily enjoy the money aspect of life. You'd rather be doing something else. <laughs> what? Are we weird? <laughs> so thank you so much for, for providing all this information, Lisa. I'd love... Mass Mutual does such a great job of finding more data about our community, and it it's, um, helps David and me a lot with the work that we do, and it helps us sound a little bit smarter when we talk about certain things. So I appreciate all the work that you guys do. Would you, do you have any last thoughts with regard to the study and the, and the state of the LGBTQ family? What I would stress is to uh, it's never too early to start. Right? We actually asked a question on our last study, and we asked... Um, people, what's their biggest financial regret? And across the board, the answer was not starting early enough. 
So my point is get started and get started now. Uh, that's, you know, so important. Also, you know, to, to recap a lot of the things we said today and for additional information, you can go to our website and actually look up the actual study by market segment. And you can find that at massmutual.com slash family study. Yeah, so I, I would definitely encourage you if you're interested in this study and the information and how we as a community compare to the general population or other segments, go and take a look. Like I said earlier, I was surprised at the significant amount of more debt that LGBT families take on when it comes to mortgage, student loan debt, as well as credit card debt. So you might find some other aspects of the study interesting. Thanks, Lisa. You're welcome. Thank you. So now we're going to tack just a little bit, not completely, uh, to Stephen and talking about the retirement risk survey that also overweighted LGBT people and see uh, how our community stands relative to the general population and maybe what sure. we can do to help fix that. So Stephen, would you mind provide some insight as to why the survey was conducted and who made up the participants? Yeah, well, uh, you know, Mass Mutual really wants to better understand investment preferences and philosophies of Americans and LGBT Americans approaching retirement, as well as folks that are already retired. So back at the beginning of this year, uh, we commissioned a study of pre-retirees within 15 years of retirement, as well as people already retired that were no more than 15 years in that retirement. So our pre-retirement bondies were required to have a household income of at least $40,000 a year. They're required to work full-time for a private sector employer and be participating in that employer's retirement plan. The retiree respondent, they were required to have a total investment assets of at least $100,000 and have been participating in their private sector employee's retirement plan at the time of retirement. So that was sort of the segment of the of the sample. Gotcha. Yeah. So you really are, I I like that you've picked this group of people because you really are focused on people who under, maybe not completely understand, but are aware of the fact that they have or are planning for retirement and are able to participate in it. It's important to to highlight those individuals. Yeah, and I think with this that that does you know when you're thinking about general population or general population within the LGBTQ community, you are going to see some result differences here between folks that are already focused on the retirement or did focus on the retirement versus folks that maybe haven't done so much. Yeah, right. that, that makes, makes sense. sense. It, it is interesting. So LGBT pre-retirees uh, are more likely than the general population to believe that their retirement income will last them as long as they live. I think that's interesting because we talked about in the previous study, the families felt a little insecure. So it, it, this is an encouraging sign that they, they feel this way. Uh, what factors do you think that are contributing to to the level of confidence they have with the individuals you talk about in this study. Yeah, and and before I answer that question, just to tie back to when we're seeing differences between our State of American Family Study for LGBTQ families and what we're seeing here with retirement studies focused on LGBT individuals, is that that that's the difference, is you're thinking about families versus individuals who could be in a family, but it's not just family skewed. So so that could have some impact. But when we're looking at those factors, our research showed that many LGBTQ retirees and pre-retirees are confident in their readiness for retirement. Uh, They're comfortable with taking market risk. 
they generally understand investments and investing more so than the typical general population retiree or pre-retiree from our study did. And that's really good news for for the LGBTs community potential to retire when they want to. We also saw that LGBTQ pre-retirees plan to retire later than the general population, which could have some impact in terms of readiness. Yeah, I guess that does make sense. When I first was thinking of this, when I was looking at the study, I, I kind of went to this thought of, okay, is this because we're retiring later, because we didn't maybe start early or early as we should have, or is it maybe because of a shorter lifespan? Uh, and then you brought a, brought this point of better performing portfolios. So I guess if your portfolio is returning consistently higher returns because you're taking that higher risk, uh, it can add that level of confidence, at least until the market gets choppy. <laughs> right. And the compliance person in me wants to say, just don't assume that higher risk is going to be higher return. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's important to point out is that it didn't necessarily say that they're having better performing portfolios, but it showed that, that they're more comfortable with taking market risk which obviously can have some benefits and risks. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So two of the greatest worries for LGBTQ retirees and pre-retirees is the cost of healthcare, which is no surprise. We just <laughs> did a whole podcast about that recently and not having enough money to enjoy ourselves in retirement. Stephen, do you have any preventative measures we might consider when planning our retirement? I do. Yeah, our study showed that many LGBTQ retirees and pre-retirees, as I said, tend to invest more aggressively, and they're more comfortable with market risk. For those with a near approaching desired retirement date, this might not actually give them enough time to ride out any market volatility. So if the market yeah. drops, you know, it could market downturn could hurt their plans by either delaying their retirement or if they can't delay their retirement or don't want to even have potential to reduce their retirement lifestyles. So we think that LGBTQ retirees and pre-retirees may want to consider working with a financial advisor to help manage their retirement savings and investments. And we do, as we said earlier, have financial advisors that focus on LGBTQ clients and their needs. Yeah, I appreciate how you talked about that whole idea of writing out the market volatility. We think we've been spoiled here for the last... Well, I guess really since the market downturn in 2008, so 10 years, we've been spoiled with a long-running bull market. So I think a lot of people have gotten confident in the watching their portfolios or the value of their assets grow, including their home. So it could increase that level of confidence. But if you're taking lots of risk, <laughs> you probably want to be working with an advisor. Exactly. That's a consistent theme. We've recorded Definitely. six podcasts this week, and I think four of them has always talked to a financial planner. <laughs> yeah. Right. Are there any right. other... Completely outside, outside of financial planning, I always say you wouldn't operate on yourself. <laughs> That's true. Exactly. <laughs> Work with a professional. <laughs> Are there any other preventative measures we can take as a community? Yeah, definitely. And I know I've been guilty of this in, uh, myself in the past. A good rule of thumb is to try and avoid those ban bad plan behaviors, which can include withdrawing money to cover a big expense, even things like a home or tuition, taking a hardship loan or suspending contributions after you've made a withdrawal or for other reasons. Uh, we actually saw less of this type of behavior from our LGBTQ respondents, which is great, but it still occurred for over 30% of the respondents within the sample. Gotcha. Yeah, I think um, 
many of us are susceptible to some of these bad behaviors. <laughs> <laughs> we, we certainly were. And at least two or three times a year, somebody emails us or direct messages us and asks if they should take money out of their 401k. Yeah. And we always say, mm-hmm. do not take a loan out <laughs> yeah. of your 401k. Do not. So what, what factors do you think contribute to the fact that LGBTQ retirees and pre-retirees think they will need less retirement up to 50% less? Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think that it comes down to us ditching the desire for that fabulous life in retirement. I know it doesn't for me. Uh, <laughs> me there either. are some significant differences, <laughs> right? I, I, I hope. I hope not for any of us. Yeah. But I think there are some, I know there are some significant differences between the LGBTQ and general population identified in the study that we can talk about. The fact that many LGBTQ retirees and pre-retirees are more confident and potentially better prepared for retirement than the general population in the study should be good news for LGBTQ people's ability to enjoy a, a comfortable retirement. Mass Mutual study, when we look at it in the aggregate, suggests that many LGBTQ individuals are focused on retirement, the need to plan for it. Uh, many have taken those really important steps, such as learning about how to optimize their social security to make sure they're taking it at the right time uh, to to make the most out of it. They're working longer to make sure they save more for when they get to retirement, and they're actually taking the time to calculate their income needs for retirement. So more planning. Yeah, this this is very encouraging. Like you said, I think this is awesome that uh, we are we don't want to give up that fabulous life in retirement, and so we're doing something to make that happen. I kind of wonder if maybe the fact that this the way where this study was directed was to potentially a lot more individuals than families. More of these individuals understand that they will be taking care of themselves in late retirement and that means their money needs to be taken care of them and so they are saving more or working to put more aside so they they can still live out those last few years of their lives in that fabulous manner. Yeah, so when we did look at the demographics of the respondents, the general population, 75% of the folks were married, 10% were divorced or separated, only 9% were single, never, never married. That really changed for LGBTQ, where under half had been married, 5% were divorced or separated, a whopping 26% of the respondents were single and never married. Wow. I guess it's clear that there there is a motivating factor there of making sure you're taking care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So as you said, it appears that LGBTQ retirees and pre-retirees are taking on more risk with their retirement investments. What data from the study stands out as to why that might be happening? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, the LGBTQ respondents are looking and seeking to outperform the market with their investments. They're less likely to be working with a professional financial advisor. This really could lead the retirees, pre-retirees into taking risk without being aware of the true risks of those, you know, investments. So what's interesting from the study is that the data showed that LGBTQ respondents tended to believe that they should be significantly more conservative with their money (laughs) because they're going to need to withdraw that retirement income and they know that they may not be able to replace the assets if the market drops. So there's that awareness, but there's really a conflict between what the respondents believe about being conservative with the money and the amount of risk they're actually taking. Yeah. 
That that is right. interesting. Like knowing what the right thing to do is, but you're <laughs> just saying, I'm just going to push it a little more. Yeah. Right. I think I'm guilty of doing that with my investments sometimes. <laughs> I've had to force him to sell sometimes because <laughs> he doesn't like to. But I think what's important to note there is that there's all different kinds of risks. And I think very often more novice investors, they're buying into companies that they're very familiar with and that they like. And in and of itself, that's not necessarily risky. But if you're overweighted in that particular stock or in a particular sector of the market, that's where the, the sort of the hidden risk can come into play. And it's not necessarily about buying, um, you know, a hot, hot penny stock, um, right. gambling on that for your retirement. Um, there are other kinds of risks. And that's something that a financial planner can actually help you out with. Right. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think that one point I would throw out there is that a financial advisor can look at your holistic investments, protections, you know, what you have in the bank, what you need, what your goals are, and help you tune your plan. So if your goal is to be conservative, but your investments show that you're not being conservative, then they can make recommendations to you. At the end of the day, they're your decision. I love what you just mentioned there, because just two episodes ago, we had Tracy, and I'm drawing a blank on Tracy's last name, uh, on from Mass Mutual, and we talked about business owners needing to do a proper valuation on their businesses and how a financial advisor will help you look at your business and your personal life holistically rather than just uh, siloed at looking at just your investment assets. It's looking at your whole life. And sometimes I think that's one, maybe one of the things that we forget to do ourselves is uh, to look at all of the aspects of our lives when we th- are thinking about our financial future. Sometimes we do just focus on how much emergency savings do I have? How much retirement money do I have? We're not necessarily looking at some of those other things. Yeah. And if you are an LGBTQ business owner, you also have your your personal investments. And you should be thinking about those holistically as well. So it's not necessarily a bad idea to talk to a financial advisor that can help you with both at the same time. Right. So Stephen, the study showed that less of us in the LGBT community uh, are uh, likely to be working with a financial advisor. Uh, what do you think they're missing out on or, or why, why this is the case? Yeah, our study showed that LGBTQ retirees and pre-retirees are less likely to work with the financial advisor, where we're seeing 55% of LGBTQ versus 65% of gen pop. So professional financial advisor can help educate retirement savers around the approach to take for their individual goals, their risk tolerance, and honestly, I think can help lend discipline to that process. Yeah. So right. setting up regular scheduled check-in. There can be uh, what's known as trigger events, trigger life events. If you get married or if you have a child, whether you're adopting a child or having a child through other means, if you're nearing retirement, you can continue to look at, are your investments in the right place? So... It is interesting that so few of us, well, I don't want to say so few, but fewer of us are working with financial advisors. And I've often thought that part of the reason why, and we've heard this from anecdotally from some of the individuals that we've worked with, is that they don't necessarily feel like most financial advisors would know how to help them as an LGBTQ person. So what does MassMutual do to help LGBTQ people 
individuals who want to work with an advisor, how do they connect them so that that advisor understands their unique needs? That's a great question. And we're actually very proud of what we're doing in this space. So Mass Mutual has been, as a company, a true long advocate for the LGBT community. And personally, one of the reasons I joined the company is because of what I learned that they were doing uh, within the community. So we know that earning trust within the LGBT community is so important. And we believe that being an authentic advocate for the community is just one way that we can help earn that trust. We have a dedicated community page on our website for the LGBT community. And here's my plug uh, <laughs> at www.massmutual.com slash LGBTQ. It shares our ongoing commitment and partnership to the community. Our advisors also have the opportunity to identify themselves within their advisor profile on our massmutual.com website as an advisor that wants to work with and focus on the LGBT community. And we provide them opportunities throughout the year to come together to continue learning about issues that are important to the LGBTQ community, as well as some of the unique needs of the community. It also provides them an opportunity to sort of roundtable and talk to each other about what they're seeing and what they need from us to support them as they support the community. Yeah, I think many of you are aware that Mass Mutual is a sponsor of this podcast. And John and I don't take lightly the companies that we choose to work with. We have companies who have reached out to us and we have held back sometimes because we wanted to see that company show some proof that they actually are truly concerned with the needs of our community. And the fact that Mass Mutual. We, it was very easy for us to go back and find evidence that Mass Mutual is continuing to reach out to our community to try to help us live our financial lives better to the best that we can. And that's part of the reason why we've chosen them as a sponsor of this podcast. And Stephen, I have to say again, thank you. I said this to Lisa again, thank you to Mass Mutual and you as individuals for putting our community on the map when it comes to discussing these kinds of things. John and I find it very difficult to find information to share, and it's nice that we can always turn to Mass Mutual as one of the champions of our community when it comes to finances. Well, and we're glad to help. And honestly, I don't think I've ever been so proud to work with a company like I am for working for Mass Mutual. Makes sense. There's a bit of a disconnect. According to queer money listeners and our debt-free guys readers, one of the top three concerns consistently comes back is having a comfortable retirement. Yet it looks like from your survey that we're preparing adequately. Why do you think there's a disconnect there? Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure that it would be so much of a disconnect rather than just thinking about it in two lenses. I think that almost everyone has that top concern of having a safe, comfortable retirement, regardless of how well they feel they're planning for it. I think that this distinction that I made at the beginning uh, that I would make here is that both the pre-retirees and retirees within this study were already focusing on retirement through participation in their employer's retirement plan. Many companies, though not all, do offer some matching funds for employees saving through these plans. So this can really help increase the amount you're putting away when you're putting away your money and you're getting matching from your company for retirement each year if you're lucky enough to work for a company that does that. So that could be one reason. 
Yeah. And, and that does make sense. I think that, uh, like you mentioned, this study is focused on inv- individuals who are already participating in this whole idea of being prepared for retirement. And maybe not everyone who comes to our website is that, uh, is that prepared yet. So do you have any suggestions for listeners, individuals who come to our website, or even individuals who are starting to prepare? Can they prepare for retirement, even though they may be earning less or living paycheck to paycheck? That's a great question. Yeah, I know everybody's at, at different parts of the spectrum. Uh, regardless of whether you're already investing for your retirement or not, I really would recommend finding financial uh, advisor that you can trust. Meet with them, share your goals and challenges, just lay it all on the line, let it all hang out, <laughs> and talk about what your unique needs are. And that's not always easy to do. You know, it is very challenging to let all your finances and your fears count right. in the wind. And that's why we really work at creating an environment with our LGBTQ-focused advisors that can help create that conversation and discovery and dialogue. And this sharing and discovery can be a really important first step for you to understand where you are in your journey and also maybe identify some things that might be getting in the way of you achieving your financial security goals. Yeah, that Great. Thank you. Uh, so I think this has been a great conversation with, regarding both studies. Uh, Stephen, before we proceed, do you have any last thoughts? Yeah, I just alluded to it, but really just thinking about retirement and planning for it can be one of those big, scary things that's easy to put off because it feels so large. And even if it feels overwhelming, don't put it off. If you're not on the right track already, the earlier that you learn what you could or should be doing to try and better prepare for your future, the better off you're going to be. Knowing is is the first step. So find a financial professional advisor that you can trust. Ask your friends if they're already working with someone that they trust. Or, again, the plug again, find an advisor that's focused on the LGBT community through our website at www.massmutual.com slash LGBTQ. Great. Thank you. So just kind of to wrap it up, and it's probably a reiteration here, but it seems like with both studies and in countless other research and all of the work that we do, the, the main action items from this podcast are to start as early as possible and to work with a financial planner. Any other closing thoughts anybody has of maybe next steps that our listeners might want to take into consideration? I think what Lisa said earlier about thinking about your budget is really important. So even before you see the financial advisor, if you start to think about what your own environment looks like and tracking your expenses and looking at what you're spending, looking at what you're spending over time can be a a great first step before you even create a budget so you can start looking at potential areas to make some changes. I would 100% agree with you because that was one of the first steps. Many of you know, you've heard us say this, that was one of the first steps that John and I did when we had our aha moment and said we had $51,000 in credit card debt. We said, where is all of our money going? Because as soon as we realized where it was going, that's when we realized that we could 
start to turn the ship around. And that is what allowed us to go from a negative net worth to now having hundreds of thousands of dollars in retirement because we took a look at the spending habits and said, can I change this? Well, and I think what was surprising too was we were spending a lot of money in areas we didn't actually like. <laughs> like, why are we blowing our money in these particular categories and they weren't providing us security or satisfaction? So uh, that's a great point, Stephen. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Lisa and Stephen, for coming on the show. We appreciate having you. I think this is a great, great discussion. Uh, these are great studies and David and I will spend more time diving through the, the content and seeing how we can use it to help our community. So thank you so much to you two and to Mass Mutual. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for having us. Wow. Thank you, Lisa and Stephen, for sharing such a wealth of information with us and our listeners. And thank you, Mass Mutual, for your great research and support of our queer community. The more we understand our community, the more we can help it, and the better we can all do financially. This episode of Queer Money was brought to you by the Debt Free Guys 7-Day Debt Freedom Challenge. You can accept that challenge by going to DebtFreeGuys.com. Then, look out for the credit card payoff course coming mid-January 2019 to help make next year the year you pay off those credit cards. Finally, join us on Queer Money next week when David and I share the grocery shopping strategies that took us from spending $400 a week to $150 a week on groceries for a net annual savings of $13,000. How quickly could you pay off your debt if you found $13,000? Securities, investment advisory, and financial planning services offered through qualified representatives of MML Investor Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC and a Mass Mutual subsidiary, 1295 State Street, Springfield, Massachusetts, 01111-0001. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.